we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. And welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, we are going to talk about one of our memorable mentors, Richard Feynman. Yeah, looking forward to it, Ed. I am. I've, I, I mean, I've had such a good day today because I've been just marinating in the in Richard Feynman and in some of his quotes and looking at his bio and in watching some some uh, TED talks about him, some w- watching some broadcasts of of his actual lectures that he gave in the '60s. Just an absolutely fascinating guy. And uh, just before we get started on on the details of that, just for those of you who aren't aware of Richard Feynman is, he was a, a Nobel laureate, uh, winner of the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1965. He won that jointly with a couple of other folks on development of quantum theory electrodynamics. And he was born in May of uh, 1918 in Queens, New York, my old hood, Ron. <laughs> yes, I noticed Very that. Exciting. Uh, and went to actually Far Rockaway High School, which where which where not one but two other Nobel laureates in physics have attended. Isn't that crazy? Wow! Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's statistically significant. Yes, and Bernie Madoff. So okay, so here. yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, Far Rockaway High School, it's actually right out on a beach community. I've actually passed it a number of times, uh, used to spend some time out in what's called Breezy Point, New York, which is the, one of the best kept secrets in, in New York City. It's technically in New York City run, but it's a beach community. And you would swear you're on the Riviera. In fact, it's called the Irish Riviera because the number of, of cops and firemen who live down there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So it's right, actually, that that part of part of that peninsula that kind of juts out underneath Brooklyn. But he spoke with a very distinctive New York accent. In fact, a lot of people thought that he he played it up just because he wanted to sound that way because it was so so thick. You know, he he never said anything about it, but uh, you know, I suppose it just just how he was brought up. But his his um, dad was a a, a salesperson, and his mom. Let's see, his mom was a. a a homemaker, and just uh, ended up going to to uh, MIT because he couldn't get into Cornell because the 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 qu- the quota of Jewish attendees had been met for the year. Right, right. So, Back in the days when they had those quotas, yeah. Hmm? So um, pretty interesting that he he was uh, unable to to attend there, but I think he did pretty well for himself by going to to MIT, and then. Probably what made him famous was he was part of the Manhattan Project back in the in the early '40s in, in trying to to build the the atom bomb. Uh, in fact, one of the the the, the guy who led that the that project, Oppenheimer, uh, said of him that that he is the uh, quote he is by all odds the most brilliant young physicist here, and everyone knows this, including him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
and uh, was was instrumental in the development of of the the atom bomb, and then went on and taught at Cornell uh, and Caltech and a number of other places. And then in the '60s, I, he he really just became kind of a popular uh, physicist. It did did a lot of lectures that appeared on on television. Uh, had some books that came out that that really captured the imagination of the 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 public, including. Um, uh, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, although that was a, a later book in the 80s. And then toward the end of his life, he was he was on the, the Challenger uh, Spatial Disaster, the Rogers Commission, it was called, investigating it. And he was the one who suggested that the problem was a was the O-ring that and, and that because of the the temperature that the launch happened in, in January of 1986, the O-rings were not as resilient in that particular weather, and then that's what caused the the the, the challenger to explode. And it turns out he was right about it. Of not not, but not before the the chairman of the Rogers Commission told Armstrong that Feynman is becoming a pain in the ass. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but real interesting guy, and of course we a- actually talked about him on a number of previous shows, in- including the one we did on most famous epitaphs. I don't know if you remember this, but his dying declaration yes. is, "I'd I'd hate to die twice because it's so boring." <laughs> <laughs> and did he did he teach up to the end of his life, or no? Did he kind of retire from teaching and just kind yeah, of yeah, kind of retired because he because he he had a. Uh, uh, liposarcoma a very rare form of cancer mm-hmm. and that significantly slowed him down right okay. yeah. um, t- toward the end of his his uh his career but you know I, you know i think he he remained relatively active and 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 uh he's uh, he's a giant he really is i mean and, and named on all kinds of lists of the top 10 physicists of all time which you know start to run through that einstein right <laughs> sure sure <laughs> Some, some Neil Bohr and Bohr, some pretty impressive company very quickly. Um, I, I guess, and one thing that I did did see a number of years ago, and I didn't rewatch it for this, but it was a, it was well done by the BBC. It was called the Challenger, and it was uh, the I think the title in the U.S. was the Challenger Disaster, and William Hurt played Feynman and did a great great job with mm-hmm. that. If you ever get a chance to take a look at that, you should uh, should look into that. But anyway, that's that's by way of introduction. Ron, did you have everything you want wanted to add to to that? No, I, I uh, that's great. I'm glad you you filled in some of the details on his life because I've um, I prepped for the show by looking at a book that actually had came out after his death. His family published it, and um, it came out in 1999. And it's called The Pleasure of Finding Things Out, The Best Short Works of Richard P. Feynman. So he does talk about the Challenger in here. He talks about the Manhattan Project and just science in general. And it was just just really interesting. But, but Ed, I have to confess something. Uh, <laughs> everything I know about physics, I learned from the Big Bang Theory. Okay? <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> well, that's, that's okay, but there's a Feynman tie in there, right? Oh, absolutely. Talk about Feynman all the time. In fact, I think there's an episode where they, uh, they're they taking away, uh, who is it, Leonard, for his bachelor party or something, uh, and, and they get Richard Feynman's old van, and they drive down to Mexico to stay at a house he used to own down there on the beach, and oh, it's just really funny, but yeah, they're always quoting Feynman. Well, it doesn't Sheldon play the bag, the, not the bag, the, the, the bongo drums, the, the bongo drums. Yep. That's okay. another. Yep. 
homage to Feynman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And takes a vacation where he goes to his girlfriend's lab, you know, to to study because that's what Feynman used to do. He used to take a sabbatical and go do something that was totally outside of, you know, his realm. And Mm -hmm. just it's just great. But it's a very clever show. But yeah. th- th- this is one thing reading this guy, and this is his work. I, I you know, um, little short stories and vignettes about various topics. He's incredibly quotable. He's like Thomas oh, Sowell. There yeah. must be a Twitter feed with this guy's quotes. There, I don't, that I don't know, but I do know that there's a lot of quotes because I got a bunch of them here that I want to talk to you about because they're just so good. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you could do an entire episode just just on his quotes. <laughs> yep, yeah. Well, in, including the one that I guess I'll just start us off with because I think it, it's a it's a forerunner of a lot of the things that he had to say. And and this is probably his most famous quote, which is that science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. I love that. I got that too. That that yeah. He, what I read, what he wrote on this, he said, "Learn from science that you must doubt the experts." As a matter of fact, I can also define science another way. Science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. <laughs> yep. And, and I think what, what he was talking about there was is scientism, right? And because and, he, he really felt that, that's, that science is not a, a listing of, of facts and, and, and figures and statistics and math, but it's, it's, it's rather a method of inquiry. Yes, and that that we have we have twisted this notion. I, th- there's another quote that I I couldn't find from him, although I have seen it attributed to him several times, and I love it because it's only three words. So I hope that he did say it somewhere. And that's this. He said, "Adjectival sciences aren't right." <laughs> if he didn't say it, he should have. It's, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was big on the whole idea that science was all about doubt. You know, without doubt, there's no progress and there's no learning. Um, and, and then he said, I had something that I know you'll appreciate. There's no learning without posing a question and mm-hmm. a question requires doubt. People search for certainty, but there is no certainty. So he was big believer in that, uh, you know, a theory was just basically hasn't been disproved yet. You couldn't say for certain it was true. You just say, we haven't found the evidence to disprove it. Right. In fact, it, it, there's a number of quotes where he sa- it says, and I'm not quoting directly here, but things like, well, you know, it, it, once there is no thing, such thing as the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. Right. It says once you have an exception, the rule is no longer valid. Oh, Move valid. on. figure something else out on that whole question thing though and i this is an apocryphal story as well that i had come across can't can't find it documented anywhere but i just i just again it's one of those things that i i hope is true or has has some some element of truth in it and that his 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 mom would ask him come when he came home from school richard what what good questions did you ask today Mm, it's fantastic Right. And I've 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 stolen that apocryphal story and that it, I can't say I do it every day, but that that is a fairly regular conversation in my household with my kids. Not that I think either one of my kids are as brilliant as Richard Feynman, but I'm just but uh, um, but just, just hey, what 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 questions did you ask today? That's fantastic. That's a great uh, after action review question. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the Kluss family after action review at dinner? <laughs> It it isn't. It's usually a conversation during other times. But yeah, yeah. So what 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 questions did you ask? 
Well, we're already done with this first segment, Ron. want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And, of course, the website, The Soul of Enterprise, show notes, previews to upcoming shows, all of those great things out there that you can see. Uh, want to remind you that you can, and we really w- w- would love for you to review The Soul of Enterprise on your podcast listening area of choice, whether you do that on iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or all of the wonderful places where the podcast is. Uh, please give us, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you on that. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back and we are talking about our memorable mentor, Richard Feynman. And Ron, do you know what a hexaflexagon is? Oh, jeez. No. Enlighten (laughs) me. Yes. So hex, hexaflexagon, and we will put put up uh, links to this on the, the website. There's three videos from a mathematician uh, named Vihart. Uh, V-I-H-A-R-T is her uh, YouTube page. Uh, I think she worked with the folks at um, – oh, what's that online math curriculum? Oh, uh, you know? uh, Coursera you know? or uh... – Khan Academy, Khan Academy. I think she worked at Khan Academy for a while and then, and then started doing kind of her own thing. I think she's on Patreon as well. And she has going back in 2011, she did an episode on the creation of what's called a hexaflexagon. And she dug up this story, which I guess is in a, a couple of different books. So it's, it, this is not apocryphal. This is, this is, this is true uh, th- that were developed by this guy, Arthur Stone, when he was studying at Princeton University. And Stone was a Brit who, when he came over, his paper didn't fit in his three-ring binder correctly. The paper was too big, 
right? Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. The A5 or whatever they yeah, have, yeah, A4, was, yeah. So he so he had to cut it. <laughs> so he cut the cut, you know, you couldn't afford it. So he cut it and he ended up with a, a whole bunch of these strips, right? And he's playing around <laughs> with these strips, right? And he folds it in such a way that where where it's a bunch of of uh, triangles over triangles, and it looks like a little little uh, accordion type thing. But then he did something interesting where he just kind of folded them, and they look like a hexagon, and he taped the two together. Well, it it turns out that this 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 folding, which is a it's it's a form of a Mobius strip. I don't know if you know what a Mobius strip is. It's a it has one side and one edge because it's a paper, mm. piece of paper twisted one half twist and then taped together. Right. Okay. So it's got one side and one edge, but th- so the hexaflexion is a is a form of that that's that's folded into these into these shapes, and when you fold them when you fold them like origami, it has it has three sides to it, not two, right? Mm-hmm. So when you, when you 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 go side one, side two, side three, and it's really weird because you can play with them, and then each time they're they're like the inverse of each other at, on when they're flipped on the other side. Well, then there's all these different formats, Max. A hexa, there's, a, there's the trihexaflexagon. Then there's the hexahexaflexagon, which is to take one of these strips and then do it again. All right. So th- here's where the tie-in to Feynman is. So Feynman is one of his colleagues, and along with a guy named uh, Bryant Tuckerman. And w- in the hexahexaflexagon, there's, it has six different sides. So it's really, really weird, right? <laughs> that you have, and there's this fascinating video that you have to see. <laughs> But there's different ways to get to the different sides. Like you have to, there's there's ways to traverse from one side to the to, to another, right? And it's a short, sort of like a Rubik's cube kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Tuckerman invents what's called the Tuckerman traverse, which is this notion of way of how do you get from one side to one side to the other, right? And it's this mathematical formula. Well, Feynman is like, well, we got to diagram this, <laughs> right? So. This is the this is the story. This is all out there. Hand to God. The original Feynman diagrams were about these shapes called the hexaflexicon, <laughs> which which was how does one get from one state to the other? But what's so fascinating about this is this years later led him to the thinking about how he could diagram out what happens in quantum theory. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. And sure. of course, the the invention of Feynman diagrams, which are um, if you look at them, you can sort of understand them. But you know, now getting back to one of his great quotes, right? Which is, "Hell, if I could explain it to the average person, I wouldn't have been worth a Nobel Prize." <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing about this guy; he had a sense of humor. Oh my gosh! Yes, a, uh, a huge uh, sense of humor. Yeah, big time. Oh, that—that's fair. You gave me a headache with that, Ed. But you have to see these videos that this mathematician by heart put together. There are three of them, and we'll link to them in the show notes. They are just amazing, right? Like you, you just sit there and you go, "Wow, this is so cool," <laughs> and how this all kind of ties together um, into the, the the science nature and scientific nature of it. So. That's Good just stuff. awesome. You yeah. know, we were talking about his his uh, attitude about questions and how, you know, there's no doubt without a question. And and uh, my one of my favorite quotes from this man is, I rather have questions I can't answer than answers I can't question. Yep. That's phenomenal. Amen. That, that's phenomenal. You know, speaking of a sense of humor, he always said that, you know, he did physics for the fun of it. 
not not for the awards, not for the accolades, not for the recognition. He said, you know, it was just the pure pleasure of finding out how the world works. And when the pre-dawn call came and from the journalist informing him that he had won the Nobel Prize, he, he responded, you could have told me that in the morning. <laughs> I just want to make one more point about the Nobel Prize and, for that matter, the Manhattan Project. He, he, he won the Nobel Prize for, like you said, you know, his development of quantum electrodynamics mm-hmm. for work he did in 1947. He was 29 years old. And the average age of the scientists on the Manhattan Project was 25 years old. So there's that, you know, they, and in fact, it's said about physics more than any other discipline that by the time you're past 30, you're over the hill in terms of coming up with, you know, a new paradigm, basically. And if you study the history of that, like Charles Murray did in the book, Human Accomplishment, you'll see that's kind of true. All these guys won for, for their Nobel Prizes for work they did in their 20s or maybe early 30s. The yeah, they didn't win it, win it until much, much later in some right. cases. So, th- so we have this Correct. image of them as being old men. Yep. Right. Because yep. I mean, let's take Einstein, for example, it wasn't until the, 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 the late thirties and stuff that, it, that his theory was, was proved. It was, in fact, it was strongly disputed by many, many, many people. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And he talked so, about the, the kick in the discovery and that's the sudden feeling that you grasp when a wonderful new idea you know, that there's something new in the world. He called it the kick in the discovery. That's kind of like his word for epiphany. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, yeah. So, so Ron, before we get onto another topic, you know, somebody asked, well, why that, why the heck are you guys talking about this guy on this show? I mean, obviously memorable mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what, what influences you in the work that, that you do from Feynman? Well, his curiosity and his studiousness, obviously, just, you know, just the, the quest to learn how the world works. I, I, I think, you know, social scientists, economists, they have that same craving, you mm-hmm. know, um, and that that inspires me. I, and I just love the idea that, you know, basically when he's talking about doubt, without doubt, there's no progress. He's basically saying that, you know, our ignorance is greater than our knowledge. And, and that that has a big influence on me because that's the book that Peter Drucker wanted to write but never did, how mm-hmm. our ignorance just dwarfs our knowledge. And this idea that we can plan things and, and, and rely on experts to do the right thing is very questionable. And, of course, his work on the Manhattan Project is fascinating. Did, did he ever I, – I couldn't find this anywhere – uh, you know, like Oppenheimer, did Oppenheimer, didn't he kind of renounce the atomic bomb that they came up with? I mean, he was kind of opposed to it in later years. You know, I didn't didn't see anything about that, uh, about Feynman, that he where he opposed it. I mean, he he, he talks strongly about the fact that that, look, science, science is not good or bad and, and the discoveries right. can be used for for either purpose. Yep. Um, and I think he felt relatively comfort comfortable with that. You know, it's interesting. You you talk about um, he, he, one of the things that he did when on the Manhattan Project he, is he used to li- like to try to figure out what the combination locks were to all of his fellow physicists. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes he said and the majority of them just left the default combination. Right. 
locks. <laughs> he's like, he's getting in their stuff and he would play practical jokes on them. Um, and then one of them, he's, you know, was, was some logarithmic equation or whatever that was, that he said, well, this guy was always talking about. It. And it turns out that that was also how, 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 what his, uh, his combination lock password was, you know, the three left, right, left kind of thing. Right. Well, this got him into trouble because he, he actually broke into one guy's locker and, Set the set the guy into a little bit of a panic because this guy apparently was on the Manhattan Project was 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 act, turned out to be a spy for the Russians. Mm. So so for a while there was suspicion that that Feynman was because of the, his 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 propensity to, to play practical <laughs> jokes <laughs> because but he was he was just trying to pick into the to just like mess with their head. <laughs> 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 that's wild yeah i couldn't i couldn't find anything about him renouncing it like no like oppenheimer did. did you know edward teller um mm-hmm. was a strong believer in what we did with the atomic bomb and its use and and uh in fact i think he went on to even advise president reagan about the strategic defense initiative he was one of the physicists that helped with that but um I got something in this book, Ed, that, that was really interesting. He talks about after the Manhattan Project, after we dropped the bomb, he returned to Cornell, as you mentioned, to teach. And he was in New York, and um, he said, you know, I, I, I'd look out at the buildings and how far away I would think, you know, how much of the radius of the Hiroshima bomb damage was and so forth, how far down there was, down to like, 34th Street. He said, all those buildings, all smashed and so on. And I got a very strange feeling I would go along and I would see people building a bridge or they'd be making a new road. And I thought, they're crazy. They just don't understand. They don't understand. Why are we making new things? It's so useless. But then he said, but fortunately, it's been useless for 30 years now, isn't it? And so I've been wrong for 30 years about it's being useless, making bridges and roads. And I'm glad that those other people were able to go ahead. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only thing I could find on him reflecting on the consequences of, of the bomb. Right. Uh, yeah, I, was... I, I didn't see anything come across anything in my research. Not to say that it's not there. Again, neither one of us are Feynman scholars in any way. But, no, not but, at uh, all. <laughs> uh, an interest interest in him uh, again because because of the, the the way that he questions stuff and um, you know we we <clears throat> we think it's important to apply some of these principles to business, even though we fully admit that business is not science, right? <laughs> absolutely, and and you're absolutely right about his views on the the morality of science. He he said you know moral questions. Or outside the scientific realm, and and I don't know if we've lost that mooring. You know, we kind of think, oh, we'll leave it to the scientists, and they'll figure out what's right. No, science is a tool, like you said, for good or evil, and you still need the philosophers and the poets and you know everybody else to weigh in on judgment about the morality of these things. So true. Um, yeah. So. Look, I know we're up against another break here, but um, I'll tell you another uh, reason. I just admire this guy and the way he thinks. I-, I love this line, too. He says, I've learned how to live without knowing. I think my life is fuller because I realize that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm delighted with the width of the world. And I just I just find that attitude refreshing, you know, kind of like what Drucker used to say about leading with my ignorance. That's how he approached consulting. I don't lead with my knowledge. I lead with my ignorance. And I think there's something really useful about that. But anyway, this is a great conversation, Ed. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to send Ed or me an email, you can do so at ask 
T-S-O-E, at ferrisage.com. We really appreciate all the correspondence we get. We try and answer every single one of them. I would love to remind you to go out to iTunes and give us a review. We got another review, but the, uh, but didn't write a comment. So we really love the comments. We'll read them on the air, the air and give you a shout out. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Richard Feynman, the great physicist, and Ed, I'm really uh, taxing my Big Bang Theory here. Uh, knowledge, but <laughs> <laughs> good thing they they uh, reference him so much. But in a in a commencement address he gave to Caltech in 1974, he talked about the cargo cult science. He called it the cargo cult science, and he told the story of in the South Seas there is a cargo cult of people. During the war, they saw airplanes land with lots of good materials, and they want the same thing to happen now. So they've arranged to make things like runways, to put fires alongside of the runways, to make a wooden hut for a man to sit in (laughs) with two wooden pieces on his head like headphones and bars of bamboo sticking out like antennas. He's the controller, and they wait for the airplanes to land. They're doing everything right. The form is perfect. It looks exactly the way it looked before, but it doesn't work. No airplanes land. So I call these things cargo cult science because they follow all the apparent precepts and forms of scientific investigation, but they're missing something essential because the planes don't land. And I just thought of all 
the ways that we try to explain the difference between metrics and measurement and scientism or what do you mm. call logical positivism just because yep. it's got numbers it's science yep. just because we can you know say oh we you know we study the science of shopping that doesn't mean there's a science to shopping <laughs> right it's there the is not <laughs> yeah and for the planes to land we've got all the infrastructure but the planes don't land i just i just love that imagery it's just a great great metaphor yeah, and and it's uh, sadly what so many people believe in business, right? You know, this is this cult of data again in, in inside business. We must get the data. We must get the data. We must get the data. And 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 the more data, the better. And yep. That's another thing he points out, and this is something that's always astonished me about, say, the difference between physics and economics, or even the social social sciences more general. You know, there's a saying that. 3% of the laws in physics explain 97% of the phenomenon, but in economics, it's the other way around. You've got, you know, th millions of theories that explain about 3% of, of what happens. And, and he writes that in physics, unlike chess, say, uh, when you discover new things, it looks more simple. They have a way of simplifying it. They, the simple theory and, you know, in social scientists, uh, among social scientists and even economists, what do we tend to hear? We tend to hear, oh, it, that's too simplistic. It's got to be more complex than that. Right. But it's the exact opposite in science. Yeah. They, they, they want to simplify, and they usually do. Absolutely. And, and what I think is so interesting is one of the things that, that becomes clear in one of those TED talks that I watched about who is somebody who is a friend of Richard Feynman said, said, you know, if you can't explain something simply, you don't really understand it. Right. That that's an indicator that you don't really understand it. If, it, if it's not something that can be explained simply and, and and he even applied it to his own work like that, that quote I read about, you know, hell, if I could explain it to the average person. Right. It wouldn't have been worth the Nobel Prize. Right. That was he, he he was saying we don't really understand quantum economic we, quantum theory. We don't. This, this, sure. this stuff is a representation, but we don't really understand it because we can't simplify it. You know, um, tying these, <coughs> excuse me, two subjects together, this is another quote. He says, there are 10 to the 11th power stars in the galaxy. There, This used to be a huge number, but it's only 100 billion, and that's less than the national deficit. <laughs> we used to call them astronomical <laughs> numbers. Now we should call them economical numbers. Num <laughs> 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 Isn't that great? That is excellent. The, the, you know, the other thing that he said, and he was famous for this too, for saying this, and I just, this applies to so many different things, especially to take one, the personality profiles. He said, why knowing merely the name of something is the same as not knowing anything about it? In other words, we, we can label something, but we may not know anything about it or have a deeper understanding of it. Yeah, I, you know, there was something, one quote that I came across, let me see if I can find it, that I thought, okay, the, the real problem in speech is not precise language. The real problem is clear language. Mm -hmm. It is quite really impossible to say anything with absolute precision unless that thing is so abstract from the real world as to not represent any real thing. Right. 
And that's that's hard. I, I, that ch- that quote that challenged me because you know one of the things I'm always talking about is get get to common language, get to get to clear language. You know, the first thing I talk about when I talk about, well, not the first thing, but one of the things I talk about in project management is stop thinking that you're going to develop common methodology. First, make sure that you have common language. Language. Right. Inside your organization, because if you don't have common language, you can't can't ever get to methodology. Right. No. And, and I think that's true. You know, like most things up to a point. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't call you a linguistic purist. I mean, you don't think that language is everything. It's obviously really super important. But right. we, we can also mislabel things. And because of that, m- misunderstand it, like, you know, putting democracy in front of socialism. <laughs> Or or nationalism, democratic <laughs> national socialism, Ron. It's democratic <laughs> national socialism. It's democratic. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> and it's all in, good. The, in the spirit of Gilder's line, or you know, that he always quotes, and I forget which one of the guys said it, Claude Shannon or somebody, but you know, creativity always takes us by surprise. Otherwise, we wouldn't need it. Um, you know, he Feynman wrote, "The question of doubt and uncertainty is what is necessary to begin." For if you already know the answer, there is no need to gather any evidence about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was interesting. And he said, when, when you don't know a problem, you're ignorant. If you have a hunch, you're uncertain. But if you're pretty sure of the result, there still has to be some doubt. So he was mm-hmm. big on doubt and uncertainty. That, that always left the door jar to further discovery and progress. He, right. he, he, he said, you know, the English call it muddling through. And he said, and even though that sounds kind of romantic, he said, it's the most scientific way of progressing. One must leave the door to the unknown ajar. And I think that this is important as we we survey what's happening today. I mean, and we'll talk more about this on our bonus episode. Those of you who don't know, we do a bonus episode on our Patreon site now. So if you want to go out and grab that, patreon.com slash TSOE. But uh, you know, and I, and I think this this whole example of the 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 Green New Deal and not understanding both science and economics is really coming to a, a forefront here, right? It's a, it's a it's a it's a misunderstanding of so many different things together. And I don't want to do a you know an, a, what we call an AOC update, right? But <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I I just find that 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 Feynman's Feynman's uh, we, we, we're, we we're, he's very missed right now. Absolutely. In the, in the skepticism about about these things, I, I, and I, you know, I don't, th- I, I don't propose purport to say that Richard Feynman would be would be, um, you know, uh, 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 would be a, a, a climate change denier. That is not what I'm saying at all. Right? No, but I, but I almost guarantee after marinating in his work all morning, I, I almost say with full confidence that he would be a climate change skeptic. Because right. he brought that to everything he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just skeptic. That's kind of what scientists are. And auditors are supposed to be that, too. And you're just right. supposed to have a degree of skepticism. And, well, and, and, and now right. all we hear about is uncertainty and, oh, 97% consensus and all of that. That's not science. Right. <laughs> No, and 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 just on on that, you know, it, it said I had a couple quotes from him about government, but I thought that this is this is really interesting. He said, "the the real question of government versus private enterprise is argued on two philosophical and abstract basis, right?" So again, he would he he tended to dis- dismiss himself from this, mm-hmm. right? But I love this part of the quote. He says, "Theoretically, planning might may be good." 
but nobody has ever figured out the cause of government stupidity. <laughs> and until they do and find a cure, all ideal plans will fall into quicksand. Uh, Hayek couldn't have said it better. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, Hayek couldn't have said it better. This is better than Hayek because yeah. Hayek would it would have been like eight paragraphs. In yes. Hayek. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, on on government too. I I, I pulled this. I, I I thought this was very thought provoking. It made me think of the whole climate and the Green New Deal. But he said the power of government should be limited. That governments ought not to be empowered to decide the validity of scientific theories. That that is a ridiculous thing for them to try to do. And I just think, where are we now? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's always the government climate panel, the UN climate panel. I mean, you know, this is obviously very politicized, and that's not science either. No, and, you know, I, I try to bring this this home to some of my friends. I said, look, I, 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 even if you think that anyone who is a skeptic about climate is is a denier, right? You have to you have to admit that it's a bad thing that no one can get a government grant to study th- study anything that is anti the the the, the current narrative. Yeah. The other side, yeah, you can't do it. Right. Yep. That's 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 an abject bad. That, yep. That's not that, that's not good. <laughs> you know, we talked about that when we talked about the real monopolist uh, occupational licensure. One of the negative effects that's rarely talked about. And, and until you take a deep dive into the literature, is the the orthodoxy and the groupthink effect that just stifles innovation. In fact, didn't Russ Roberts just have a really interesting guest on talking about? In fact, he was the co-founder of Stripe, right? And yep. he was. They were talking about innovation and how should it be funded and all of that. And they they talked a lot on that episode about groupthink, and I thought that was just phenomenal. That was a great episode because that happens. Yeah, no, it certainly does, and you, where where you 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 can't you can't begin to think outside. In fact, if you start, if you even start to, you're chastised, and in fact, getting back to licensure, in some cases, your license is taken away. Yeah, exactly. Right? You have to have the right credentials, and you got to toe the party line. You know, this isn't this isn't the old Soviet Union, and we all work for Pravda. I mean, good ideas can come from anywhere, and challenges can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, Ron, we're up against our last break here. I can't believe it because I don't know about you, but I am only about maybe a third of the way through the stuff that I prepared for this show. And maybe a third. I have to look. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Anyway, the, the the website is thesoulofenterprise.com. As I mentioned, the Patreon site out there. And I should also mention that we're now on Spotify. So Spotify is your listening place of choice for all things podcasts please go out to spotify and subscribe to the soul of enterprise as well as make sure you leave us a a quote out there and give us a rating we love to hear from you but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. 
Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise, talking about our memorable mentor Richard Feynman. So, Ron, I want to. This is a, a, a quote out of nowhere, so I'm just going to throw this here, and then we'll then we'll wrap this up for the day. But I just thought that this was extraordinarily funny. And he talks. He was. Do you seriously entertain the idea that without the observer, there is no reality? He's like, which observer? Any observer is a fly an observer? Is a star an observer? Was there no reality in the universe before 10 to the 9th BC when life began? Or are you the observer? Then there is no reality to the world after you are dead. And here's the, here's the coup de grace. I know a number of otherwise respectable physicists who have bought life insurance. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. You know, I just saw something that's very similar uh, on Facebook. There's a meme, and it's about the Green New Deal. It says, you know, yeah, the the world's going to end in 12 years. That's okay. I'll just continue to contribute to my retirement account. <laughs> and I and I've told this story a number of times. I had my my the, the one of the few courses in college that I took where the the professor also wrote the textbook. You know, you're in trouble when you walk into yes. that class, right? Yes, absolutely. But this was it. It was a summer course. I figured I'd take this out. It was it was astronomy. I'm like, ah, it's blow off, right? No, right, no, sure. no, no, no. <laughs> and did, did your school have a planetarium? We yeah, sat no, there it's in the Pink Floyd. We did. It was awesome. <laughs> no, this guy was really good. And but and one of the things I will always recall him saying, and I've said related this to my son. In fact, I just talked about this with with him the other day. He said, you know. In five trillion years, five to ten trillion years, the 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 sun will begin to expand uh, and become what is r- roughly the size of the orbit of Mars. Mm. Right, that's what's going to happen. Right, this the, the the because when it starts burning the helium, etc. Right, <laughs> and he then said, "This does not mean that real estate is not a good investment." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great. Um, 
you know, I know you're you're more steeped in the Challenger, his work on the Challenger disaster than I am. But I but I found he had a chapter on in this book on it, and he did say this, Ed. He said we should not encourage ordinary citizens to fly in such a dangerous machine, as if it attained the safety of an ordinary airliner. For successful technology, reality must take precedence over public relations. For nature cannot be fooled. And he was he was kind of blaming NASA for you know letting a civilian on there and oh, and, and kind of, yeah the teacher yep, yep yep and downplaying the risks and all of that for he thought it was a PR move and and I, th- it I was. thought that, yeah thought that was really really powerful. Um, also in this book he's got uh, I think it's one of the last chapters. He, it's called the relation of science and religion, and he said I do not believe that science can disprove the existence of God. I think that is impossible. He said, uh, there's a difficulty in trying to weld science and religion together. It's imperative in science to doubt. And and obviously in religion, you have to have faith and believe. Um, and then he said, and then he kind of equated it to communism. He said, this is the problem with communism. It has no doubt. It's got all the answers. Mm-hmm. Where he says, democracy, you know, they can kind of muddle through and and discuss and debate, but also they can modify, they can change course if, if they find they're in error. And I thought that was an interesting parallel. Um, and that's where he also talks about moral questions or outside of the scientific realm. So really thought provoking there. And but like you said, he was an atheist, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and I think this is probably from the same. I don't know my my quote I was pulling from different various sources and stuff so not not directly a book but I but I'll just f- might as well offer this since you bring it up but he said if we if we suppress all discussion all criticism proclaiming the this is the answer my friends man is saved we will doom humanity for a long time to the chains of authority confined to the limits of our present imagination it has been done so many times before beautiful so true so true. I, mm-hmm. You know, that's the whole thing about creativity and human creativity that Gilder talks about and the surprise. And oh, that's, why, that's why I think futurists are just ridiculous. And, I, you know, he'd be one of these guys I would love to. I wish he was alive now and was able to comment on some of the stuff that's going on right now in the scientific world. I'd, I'd love to hear his views. Yeah, I, like I said, I I can't I, and I won't speak for him to say that he he be, would be a, a doubter of of global global warming, climate change, etc. But I but I do think that he would be arguing for, hey, listen, we got to we got to question this because one of the things that I get a tremendous amount of pushback when I bring it up and, oh, you just want oh more research, more research, more research on this. Well, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, why would you ever want to <laughs> stop discovery? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we don't we don't necessarily understand it. It, 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 it do it. Do you offer that it that it does man have a, a place in what's going on? Yes. Could it also be the fact that we're that you know spun, sunspots are changing, or the or the, the 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 you know magnetic north shifts might have more of an impact, or could it just be part of a cycle? Right, we we know we know that the Earth has been through periods, and there are there are well, it's changing faster than ever. We don't know that for sure. No, we don't. Right? You you don't have the data for one thing. <laughs> well, and what they say is, well, we go back to the last ice age. Well, then you have the data from the last ice age is what you have, 
And maybe it was an anomaly. Probably not, because the odds are that it was not an anomaly. But it could have been. <laughs> and we don't know. Well, what's normal? I mean, that's I, I'm not even sure that can be answered that plainly. Oh, yeah. What's, um, the, what's the optimal? What's the optimal temperature of the Earth, right? The, for, for what, right? But but it's but it but we all know that culprit Ed, it's cow flatulence, mm, you know, which is caused by us wanting to eat them, eat too much of them. And what if we invent meat that's produced without actual live cows that's more tasty? We talked about that on a previous show. You, you do right. know that there is a line in the Green New Deal outline about cow farting. I'm not kidding. It, it was it was in the draft. Right. I did some research it, on they it. Did it was re- in the draft. It, they did remove it. They yes, did remove yeah. it, yes, but it yeah. came out, and I've got the copy of the draft that's got it. Mm-hmm. So, so. <laughs> well, but. a couple more th- things I just wanted to say on Feynman, and I'll, we'll post links up to these. De- definitely take a look at his, some of the beautiful things that are, are part of the the TED website, which is a, uh, a a a talk called "Physics Is Fun to Imagine," and it's from archival BBC footage where he just talks about like what what is fire what are magnets rubber bands mm. right and the and and it's just fascinating for him like and he, this one section it's it's laugh out loud funny the way he explains it like one of these like you're standing in front of a mirror and suddenly you realize that if you put your right hand out in the mirror it's your left hand <laughs> how does the mirror know that Right. And how and why does it not get up and down confused? He goes, and then if you lie sideways in the mirror, like like all of a sudden, what does it know? What does it know? You're turning. Right. (laughs) And but he makes you think. And then he explains because you're looking at you're looking at it in a two dimensional space. But the reality is it's three dimensional. And what you really should be noticing is that it's north, south, east and west. And when you put your west hand out. It's always your West hand, mm, mm, right? Mm, and right. he just has insights like that and makes it simple, simple and understandable that you're that, and that that's what he, this whole, uh, and I think it's an hour and 10 minutes long of him just, and he talks about the jiggling atoms. Like it's just, they're moving They're And he, he does not use crazy scientific language at all. He just explains it. That you where you can understand these very complicated topics in in, in with 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 relative ease, right? I, you know, when I was reading some of that in in this work, um, it made me think of uh, President Reagan's old line, and he was kind of good at this too, simplifying things down to their basics. And he said, "Yeah, I have an idea about the Cold War. We win and they lose," and <laughs> and that had never ever been uttered before. Right. But that's the way he saw it. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was a pretty good, you know, yeah, it was simple, but <laughs> it was very clear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Crazy stuff. And, uh, good, good, uh, good topic. I'm, I'm glad we did this because we've quoted him enough times. He, he deserved a show of his own. So, Ed, what's on store for next week? <laughs> You know, we're back where we were started last week, Ron, and our friend Hector is not going to be happy. We haven't decided what we're going to do next week. So if you've got an idea for a show next week, send it on. If, and I'm, uh, if not, I'm sure we'll post a preview by, by Tuesday. So Our engineer, Josh, calls it Roll the Dice Friday. So that's what go. it's going to be next Friday, folks. <laughs> so and I look forward to it. Either way, I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by the builders to the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>